This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is John Piatti, President and CEO of the American Farmland Trust. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with AFT's John Piatti next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Since its inception 40 years ago, the American Farmland Trust has stood in the gap between environmental groups and farmers to support practices that protect valuable farmland, promote regenerative farming practices, and support the farmers who care for the soil. American Farmland Trust President and CEO John Piatti hopes they're viewed positively by both groups they intend to serve. Well, I think we've been viewed historically as a middle-of-the-road organization. We work with folks of all parties. We try to bring common-sense solutions and research and data to analysis. We have one leg in the farm community and, and one, one leg in the environmental community. We were created because 40 years ago there really was no organization that saw both sides of the coin, that environment and agriculture are intrinsically linked. Now, of course, I think many farm organizations get that, and many environmental organizations now see farmers as uh, partners in advancing a healthier planet. But 40 years ago, very few did, and that's why we were created. So early on, I think we were viewed as being an unusual organization because we were both going down the middle road and trying to connect these two different camps, environmentalists and conservationists, with the agricultural community. Since then, we've done a lot of work on farmland protection, a lot of work on federal policy. We formed the Conservation Coalition that resulted in the conservation title in the 85 Farm Bill and have pushed um, ever since for improvements in the conservation title. Many of the USDA programs were conceived by um, AFT staff, vetted with farmers uh, by our staff, and then put forward. So I think now we're viewed more sort of as a think tank or brain trust, which is uh, is legitimate, but we also still get our hands dirty. In many of our regions, we do on-the-ground work as well. Would you rather work with farmers with a carrot or a stick? We have always been about the carrot. Our view has always been that um, farmers want to do the right thing by the land. They are our stewards of the land. They care deeply about it. They want to pass it on uh, better to the next generation, but sometimes the economic realities don't allow that. Um, The right uh, set of incentives can go a long way, and of course that's been the primary focus of conservation practices in the Farm Bill. They've been primarily incentive-based, and that's been a big 
big part of what we believe in. So that also goes into line with the farmer perspective that suggests they're all in for sustainability, but sustainability has to include profitability. Absolutely. We need our farmers to be successful. The part of our mission where we get at that is we we call it keeping farmers on the land. We need farmers to be financially successful or they're not going to stay in business. And we're not only going to not get the food we need, we're not going to get the environmental services we need unless farmers can stay on the land. And at heart, that is principally about the economic viability of our agricultural system. Is there a paradigm shift where the landowner is not the farmer? And is that a challenge? Yes, Yes, very, very much so. Um, I think nationally, something like 40% of the farmland today is owned by people who do not farm it. We call those non-operating landowners. In some states, particularly in the Midwest, um, I think in Illinois, that number might be as closer to 70%. So it's, it's huge. And a lot of people when they, who don't know much about agriculture, when they hear that, they think that means big corporate farms are, are taking over. That's not the case. This is usually the situation where um, a farmer had to grow over the last 15, 20, 30 years. Farmers in his area were retiring, and he picked up additional acreage, and he went from a 160-acre farm to a to a thousand acre farm and maybe to a 2,500 acre farm. And sometimes he owns um, some of that land. He he acquired it, uh, but frequently he has been leasing it. And it does create challenges because as those landowners become uh, another generation removed from operating, from owning the land, and they're removed from their days when their um, parents may have farmed it or grandparents may have farmed it, they are less in sync with the needs of agriculture and less familiar about uh, some of the conservation practices that would ideally um, be addressed. And farmers who are leasing the land, if if they don't have a lease that gives them incentives to think long-term about soil health, there's really no way they can afford to take steps. So it is a paradigm shift um, as we move in this direction, and it requires new tools. Well, with the public's interest on the food supply, it hasn't been too many weeks ago that you introduced the Farming is Our Future initiative. What's your goal? Mm-hmm. Well, um, this is a, something we've been working on for a long time. This is our 40th year as an organization. We've done a lot of good work during that period, but a lot of it, quite to be very frank about it, has been behind the scenes. Uh, policymakers know about it, some academics, a few people in the ag community, um, but not not the broader public. And what that has meant is that we haven't really been able to um, push some of the things uh, to scale that we'd like. Regenerative agriculture is a great example. People are more and more talking about that, which is absolutely wonderful. But AFT has been advancing better uh, farming practices for close to 40 years, and we've had some great successes. But nonetheless, if you look at the scale of adoption around the country, it's relatively low. So for the last few years, we've been thinking of how we scale up what we do. We've done a great job of protecting farmland, but at present, we've only permanently protected less than 1% of the farmland in America We've done a great job with advancing farming practices, 
but we still don't have widespread adoption. And when it comes to that third leg of our of our mission, uh, supporting farmers, wow, well, this year in particular just calls to uh, to attention how how uh, how threatened farmers can be um, and how how great their struggles are. So, Water Farming is the Future campaign is our effort to elevate all those things. And I'll be I'll be blunt about it. At heart, it is a fundraising campaign, right? It's a it's our effort to put more money into things that we've been doing very well, but not at the scale that's needed. But we feel very strongly at AFT that farming is indeed our future. If we care about food, which you really have to, if you care about our planet, farming and better farming practices really provides one of the few hopeful ways to combat climate change and deal with a whole host of other um, environmental needs that that our communities and our planet has. So if we want to talk about a sustainable future, at its heart, it has to have sustainable agriculture. So that's why um, we, we see everything that happens in ag as being directly integrated into our future. And I think American agriculture is at the forefront of that. Um, the future of American agriculture is going to determine what happens internationally, and that, in turn, is going to determine the future of our society. One of the points. Big stuff. <laughs> one of the points you suggest is to reduce the rate of farmland loss by seventy-five percent. So, are we losing farmland to the same old culprits, or are there new avenues that farmland is being lost? Well, that's a great question. We are still losing farmland the way we normally think about it, the big box store or the 100-acre farm that gets turned into 200 houses on the outskirts of town. So we continue to lose farmland um, through development. And overall right now, the latest numbers from a study that AFT just produced with some great data provided to us from NRCS and, and some some other institutions but the latest data is that we're losing 2,000 acres of farmland a day. And that's significant. Um, that really is. That, that adds up over the last 15 years to 11 million acres. And that is roughly the same amount of land that across the entire country is dedicated to fruit, vegetable, and nut farming. We lost all of that in the last 15-year window. So it's huge. But as you, as you set up, it's not only about the typical form of development. We also are increasingly seeing this being a rural problem, not just expanding cities, not just sprawl, but what we refer to as low-density residential development. It's that 100 acres that rather than being turned into 200 house lots that over 10 years gets chopped up into 5 and 10 and, and 20 acre lots that nonetheless become um, economically unviable for agriculture. And we're seeing uh, a huge increase in that. The bottom line is this is not just an issue of sprawl. It's not just an issue for urban and rural communities. We are losing farmland in rural places as well, and at an unsustainable level. We simply can't continue this. And I should say, American Farmland Trust has never been 
against growth. Uh, far from it. Um, but we believe in smart growth. We believe in putting um, houses and businesses in places that don't take away from our incredibly precious and irreplaceable farmland. So one of the things we did in this last study is we uh, came up with a system of recognizing the most nationally significant land based on its productivity, uh, versatility, uh, and resiliency. And we think that land in particular is so important that we need to take extra steps to make sure that will always be there to provide us with food and other critical services. Your goal is to decrease carbon emissions by 650 million metric tons annually. How do you propose to do that, the way that we farm or the results of farming practices? Um, it's a little bit of both, right? So farming um, right now produces uh, about 10% of the greenhouse gases that um, America generates. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. It could be that we um, will always produce some, but at the same time, we could be taking steps to sequester carbon in the ground by building soil health. It's, it's basic chemistry, and you all may remember your, you know, your high school chemistry class and how how organic matter is carbon-based, that carbon comes from somewhere. When you're building up good, healthy, rich soil, that is carbon that's being pulled down through the wonders of photosynthesis from the atmosphere. So we can do two things in agriculture. We can reduce our own emissions directly, and we can offset what emissions we do produce by sequestering carbon in the ground. And you can do that through a whole range of better farming practices. The term usually thrown around now is regenerative practices. And there's nothing magic about that term. It means a lot of things that farmers have been working on for, for years and that American Farmland Trust has been advancing and others have been advancing for years. So this might involve uh, reducing tillage um, on your on your field so you don't turn up the soil. It could be using cover crops more actively. It could be planting more perennials. There's a number of strategies. Um, our estimates, and we have some great research scientists on our team, our estimates are that we could, on just our cropland in the United States, by applying both cover crops and no-till, um, uniformly across the country, having most farms in the country do that, we could reduce our carbon emissions, or I should say offset them, by over 85%. And if you then looked at the remaining land, what could be done on rangeland and pasture land, which can be managed very successfully uh, in ways that also build up soil health, um, American agriculture could be um, not only carbon neutral, but a carbon sink. We could be drawing down more atmospheric carbon than we produce. And that's going to be necessary because we're one of the few sectors that is in a position to do that. And there'll be always a need to offset some other elements of the economy that can never be carbon neutral. 
Legislation's already proposed in Washington that would reward farmers for adopting some of these same agronomic practices that you're talking about that sequester carbon. Mm-hmm. The USDA becoming a clearinghouse to justify the volumes and the practices. And then we already have industry at this point that are willing to pay farmers for adopting some of those practices. Are these means viable and do they align with the American Farmland Trust? They certainly align with with our view. We need um, every tool possible to make this happen, and we need it soon. And you mentioned a couple of things that are happening. We see companies like General Mills and Kellogg's who are being very willing to work with farmers to have them um, adopt better regenerative practices and and the consumer is rewarding the company for that and some of that price premium can flow back to the farmers so we're seeing that Um, we also are beginning to see the possibilities of some kind of carbon trading system Um, those are complicated they might be a few years off they're only going to apply in some instances but they're part of the solution So those are two market-based solutions. But I think public policy also has a place. I would love to see the conservation title of the Farm Bill and the next Farm Bill in three years or so um, really elevate what can be done through incentives to encourage farmers to take additional steps. And I hear some people say, well, shouldn't farmers be doing that anyway? And my response to them is, is is always the same. Here they are. We are with these struggling farmers um, who barely um, are making the numbers work, and we keep adding on more and more things that we expect them to do without compensating them for it. We basically need to come up with a system that compensates farmers not only fairly for the food that they grow, but for the range of critical environmental services they provide. And part of that answer is in the marketplace through the strategies that I just proposed. And part of that answer, since the marketplace alone will not be able to do it all in all situations, is to also have a strong set of government policies that provide incentives for farmers to do what will help us um, as members of society live in a more sustainable planet. No good idea comes without critics, and there have been some outspoken critics of those who believe that farmers can be a part of the carbon uh, issue and can actually be a part of the solution uh, to mm-hmm. the carbon issue and climate change that we face today. Uh, there have been some pieces that were well publicized. How do you respond to your critics? Well, it's, uh, it's been really sad to see, and, and what you're referring to is that um, it's really been in the last few months, there have been uh, some criticisms, often coming from the left, somewhat ironically, um, but some criticisms that this regenerative ag stuff um, really is not the panacea. And I think there are a couple of things driving it. I think partly it's because... Um, Businesses are additional, are increasingly getting engaged in this work. I mentioned companies like, like, uh, General Mills and Kellogg, and that's, that's a great thing. We need the power of the marketplace. But for some people, if 
big business is involved, it has to be bad in some way. So I think that's part of what's of what's uh, driving it. Um, but but the truth is that if you look at the science, the way you respond to these criticisms is to look at the science, and the science is pretty damn clear. There's no question that better farming practices provides a wide range of environmental benefits um, and potentially economic benefits for the farm as well because better soil increases productivity. But it provides a wide range of environmental benefits, including sequestering carbon. The critics have said things like, well, we can't know for sure how much carbon is hard to quantify. That's absolutely true. And maybe someday we'll have more refined systems, better measurements that will allow us to quantify more specifically. But we know it is doing good. There's no question about that. And there's some practices where the benefit can be quantified. And that's part of the reason why I said the marketplace alone probably isn't the sole answer because the marketplace for something like carbon credits works well potentially with practices that can be more easily quantified. Then there's a whole set of practices which we know do good, both environmentally, economically, and socially. We know they do good, but they can't be quantified. Those may be things where um, the government has a more appropriate direct role. But anyway, the response to the criticism is to bring facts to the table, and hopefully that will carry the day. Well, John Piani, we want to thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to spend time with us here on this edition of Open Mic. We do respect the work of the American Farmland Trust and are glad that you've been able to be with us on this edition of the program. Uh, John, this is Open Mic, and you have the last word today. Well, I appreciate that. I feel like I've already said enough, so I should probably keep this short. But I I do want to just um, say something in support for the farmers and ranchers of this country who do such amazing work that keep us fed um, and keep our um, our air cleaner and our water cleaner. Um, I think they are our unsung heroes. I'm excited about the future of agriculture. I think that by utilizing better farming practices, by making sure we retain the farmland we need, um, and by supporting our farmers, that we can have a very um, robust and healthy future. But it's going to take work. And there are a lot of forces out there that are working against um, agriculture. sometimes nefariously, more often simply because uh, we're a few generations removed from the farm and so many people don't understand what farming is all about or the hard work that farmers and ranchers do or that they are truly the stewards of our land who want to do what's right. Our job is to give those farmers the tools so they can succeed. And if they succeed, we succeed. We need our farmers to be um, our climate champions. Um, they can make a huge difference in ensuring that we have a livable planet. Um, let's give them what they need, all of our support, all of our encouragement, and the federal policies and the consumer backing that they can be financially successful 
and we can be a sustainable planet. Our thanks to John Piotti, President and CEO of the American Farmland Trust, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.